Cutting Through Tech, Season 2, Episode 10. Apple announces new silicon, WWDC Part 2. Welcome to Cutting Through Tech, the show all about technical strategy for women leaders today. And in this episode, we are looking at Apple's new announcements that they made this week at WWDC. If you are wondering what WWDC is, uh, it stands for Worldwide Developer Conference. And the previous episode explains a bit more of the backstory and why it may be relevant to you as well. But as expected, Apple released their own chips, and that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. Of course, they also announced all their new software updates from iOS to iPad to the new stuff for Watch and the Mac. The Mac is actually quite important because it ties in with the new chip and, and we'll get into all of that. Another thing I wanted to talk about today was a few of the business decisions that Apple's made, uh, which are quite interesting given the direction that they're going now. And some cute things that I observed in general watching the keynote. Now, if you already have got an app or you're building one currently, uh, there's some, some new interesting things that they released as well that you might want to know about, but I'll be covering those in the next episode because I figured otherwise this one would get a little bit too beefy and a little bit too long. So the transition to their own chips, that was big news, right? We, we knew that they were probably going to move to an ARMS-based processor, but they've fully, fully reimagined the chips themselves. And depending on what kind of person you are, you're going to be in one of two camps, right? Either the what's the big deal camp or the oh my god. And, and that oh my god can be either positive or negative, but you have a clear opinion, right? But for those of you that are a bit like what just happened and why is it such a big deal, I, I will break it down for you. See, it's, it's actually a very interesting and clever move and one that I'm very curious to see pan out. But let's first talk about what is it? Now, there are different chip manufacturers in the world, and the very well-known one is Intel. Apple have used Intel chips in their Mac products, laptops, and desktops since 2005, when they moved from PowerPC to Intel. And a chip is basically the thing that is the computer. It calculates, it does all the thinking for a computer, so it interprets commands like opening a new tab or window, or saving a file, or incrementing the time so you've got accurate time in the corner of your, of your computer. Basically, what you think of when you think of a computer, that most of that functionality sits within the chip. Now, when Apple started developing their iPhone, you know, they couldn't just stick your typical processor in there. Because, first of all, otherwise it would have been done right, but it would require a lot of power consumption, um, it was physically perhaps too, too big to be connected to all the other uh, typical components it would need. So they had to really get creative when they wanted to make a handheld device as powerful as the iPhone, but obviously a bit different than, than any normal computer. So at the end of the day, they created their own chip for the iPhone. And as the device became more performant and demanding, and also of course with additional items like iPads and iPad Pros in the lineup, the chips needed to be able to do more, handle more, and just become better every single year. Which is why they, whenever they <laughs> announce a new device, they, they make a big deal about the new chip, right? It's the A9 or the A12. I think even I kind of was just like, oh yeah, cool, it's, you know, it's new, it's bigger, it's better, great. 
But you start to realize a bit more, especially now with this transition, what the big deal is. Um, because every single time they've started adding more pieces of functionality to this processor. So it's not just your normal processor anymore. Let's face it, they know what they're doing, right? They've been making chips for a while now, just for different types of devices. And they think, you know, clearly it was time for them to make their own chip for the Mac. Rather than, say, <laughs> buying an IKEA cupboard where you have to adhere to the color and the size and all the stuff that they give you, this is a little bit like building a custom fit wardrobe <laughs> to fit your space, right? You get to make it exactly the way you want it. And it sounds so simple, but now they basically have full control over what they want from this chip. Not just that, but they can start to bring over intelligent things and additions they've made to their other chips onto the Mac. So what do you get from this as a user? You get improved battery life, but also now added features that are, for example, optimized to run neural networks. So these are things that are used in machine learning and AI, stuff that Apple has already brought to, um, to the iPad and to the phone, but now able to run on desktop, which is pretty cool. Now, you might still be thinking, so cool, they've swapped out a chip, it's better, what's the big deal? And also, why is this being announced at a developer conference? Now, here's the caveat, right? A, a chip doesn't just understand magically what it needs to do. You actually need to write a lot of software for it to be able to translate those tasks that I mentioned, like opening a new tab, incrementing time, you know, saving files and so on, into something that a chip can deal with. Um, it's like a basic language, a bit like, you know, we have a foundation in the alphabet. You can do a lot with the same 26 letters or so, but now you're changing the fundamental elements that you're working with. So you have to effectively rewrite the entire operating system. And not only that, but you effectively have to ask all developers to do the same with their apps. So your Microsoft Word, your Photoshop, like all of these big apps that run on top of a desktop that we take for granted almost, they have to change bits too. That's just in theory. But actually, one of the things they announced is that they've made that really, really easy, right? They've released a set of converter tools and a kit where you can test your apps on the new machine. And whilst it is not the new MacBooks that they'll be actually launching with the new Silicon, um, they've got like little test devices. So anyone who is creating these types of desktop apps can make that transition and can test it accordingly. A few big apps have already done that. They demoed um, Autodesk Maya, they've demoed Photoshop, they've demoed Microsoft Word. So, you know, a lot of these have already started in the background, but now they've announced it to everyone and everyone can get prepared for this transition. This is really just sensible business because if you're going to make this too hard, you're going to ask everyone to basically rewrite the app um, that they spent years making. As you can imagine, something like Photoshop isn't, you know, a simple thing to make. Um, people wouldn't bother. And then basically the devices lose the incentive to be able to run cool things. Like no one would really go out and buy a Mac if it couldn't run things like Photoshop, right? So a big part of the announcement was also kind of aimed towards companies and developers in how you can get prepared for this transition. Apple have said it's, they estimate it to take about two years um, before everything will be fully, fully running on silicon. They've even said actually that there are some devices still coming out that are based on Intel, but at the same time, they're expecting the first Macs that contain silicon, Apple silicon, to be shipping by the end of the year. So 
all of this transition work has to be ready because otherwise people will be receiving these new, you know, new MacBooks or desktop. We don't actually know what format it will take yet. <laughs> They'll be receiving these new devices and won't be able to run the programs that they're expecting. But there's one other kind of important element that I want to touch on because, you know, it's, it's changing fundamentals, like I said, and it kind of feels like starting again, especially if you're looking just at Mac. But what is so interesting is if you're coming from the phone or the iPad, it's actually made things easier because effectively the Macs will run on the same chip technology as the handheld devices, meaning that the apps that are running on those handheld devices should now run on the Mac almost for free, right? The form factor might be a bit weird if you directly port an app over um, because, you know, it'd be just a tiny rectangle on a big screen. But effectively, the software is already geared up to match. If you made a game for the phone, it will now run on the Mac. You basically do not have to create two separate apps. Maybe people didn't realize, but a Mac app is proper separate from an iOS app. Um, they're completely two different things to maintain. So that no longer has to be the case. And that is a big deal. And it's a very interesting strategy that, that Apple chose here. Because now we're getting to the juicy bit, right? Like also, if you are in the business of either desktop apps, um, software in general, or um, handheld device apps, you might want to think strategically about the next few moves. Now, first of all, it's hard to say, you know, where the world is going with this, but Apple effectively has tightened their ecosystem even further. As a consumer, you will now be able to download your apps across all devices, blurring the lines between laptop, desktop, iPad and phone even more. Apple also released big updates to Maps and they added Translate now, kind of taking Google head on. But a big differentiator that they keep stressing and they did so throughout the entire keynote was privacy. This is a journey that they started a while back but has made bigger and bigger strides every single time. So while the web, in a way, is a great neutralizer, right? Almost anyone can access a website through a browser. The divide between PC, Mac, Android, and iPhone has just widened a little bit more. So when you start making software now, you really have a big decision to make in terms of, are you making a website, an app, for which platform, and which form factor? And Will people, or more specifically, your users, want to use an app on their Mac, right? Bar from your heavy-hitting classics like Photoshop and Microsoft Word, few companies have actively set out to create profitable Mac apps. I can think of a few great ones, <laughs> from Affinity to um, Ulysses, but they're far and few in between compared to the mobile phone. What's interesting is that there have been cross-platform solutions, right? Like, if you've heard of Electron, it's a, a way of housing a website, if you will, within a app container that runs both on Windows as well as Mac. If you've used Spotify or Slack as a desktop app, you will have effectively used Electron. It is written in web technology and then indeed housed and contained quite neatly. So for example, I can't imagine um, a company like Slack taking their iPhone product to the Mac because in a way the Mac has to stay in sync with 
the Windows because it's a desktop form factor. So people are using it slightly differently. They're typing, they're clicking, as opposed to touching and swiping. Again, Apple has put more work into the technologies that they offer developers to easily navigate between touch and click, swipe and type. But basically, it's blurred a lot more. And I think there's clear decisions that teams will need to make in terms of, is this the way we want to go? Do we want to simplify our code base? And in which way? Are we starting to create web versus Apple ecosystems? Or will it still be the divide between desktop and handheld? If you have any questions about this, um, do write me on Maxime at Cutting Through Tech. I would love to feature your questions on the show. What I would say to anyone starting kind of fresh now is that it's become even more important to know where your users are, right? What is it that you're setting out to do? How are you going to do that? And who is it for? Because if you are purely targeting someone who is in that Mac ecosystem, this will have made that very easy. If you are making something truly universal, you have a lot of options available to you as to how to get to that point that you are running across every mobile device and every desktop device. You know, thinking of your Facebooks and your Spotify's and so on. Supporting cross-platform for the sake of it isn't easy, but at least it's possible and easier and better than it ever was before. But supporting it just for the sake of it is, is just not worth it. So having a clear strategy in mind of where you're starting and how you'll grow out to support platforms is actually really, really key. So that was the big news. That is Apple's new chips and kind of how they're rolling that out and what it could mean down the line. Now, there are a few other things that I noticed. They always stress Siri so well in these presentations and I feel like I don't use Siri enough, you know? The only thing I do with it is I set timers all the time uh, for baking. But other than that, I never really ask it anything. And every year they say, oh, we've added so many more new key terms, right? You can ask it about relativity theory or basically anything. Ask Siri anything. Um, do you do that? Let me know. The other thing I thought was funny and, and not surprising at all, is that with every Apple keynote, the sheer confidence of what they're announcing is just astounding, right? They, they can stand up there and say, this is the best thing since sliced bread, as if they've invented it and it, you know the world has never seen it before, which isn't always the case. Uh, like for example, when they were releasing um, the new features around maps and also Translate, um, they're very cool. So for example, with Translate now, you can they're, they're releasing a new app on the phone called Translate and you can talk in one language and it will kind of speak out in the other language and then the other person can talk in their language and kind of speak back at the phone and so forth. Now, this is something Google Translate has supported for quite a while now, but the way they announced that, you can't help but think it's cool even though you're kind of rolling your eyes at it at the same time. Uh, last week, I spoke about Sherlocking, by the way, and I would say... This keynote, it was less about fully taking an app's idea and implementing it, but it is becoming more and more clear that Apple is, you know, now that they've got that dominance on in terms of handheld devices, they are starting to put in all the software that some other companies started with, right? If you, if you put Apple and Google head on at the moment, Google was a software company first and then started venturing out into hardware 
you know, Android devices, even though primarily they ship the operating system and it will be, you know, Samsung, LG and so forth that make the actual phones. Chromebooks as well. But it was a very different um, transition, if you will, from Apple. Apple started as a hardware company, but wrote software specifically to make their hardware shine. Um, they outsourced a lot of that, especially in terms of the phone, because that's effectively what you're allowing to happen is the, you know, having the creativity of the world's developers and also entrepreneurs create really cool things that run on your software systems so that you effectively can sell more hardware uh, is what is exactly the strategy they, they chose for the, for the phone. But they are starting to make more serious use of in-house teams, machine learning, and you know modern technology to really drive their their own services to be as powerful as they can be not just relying on what basically third-party developers or companies will create for them two cute things i noticed were um, the new wind down feature and the app around hand washing i think both are a really good example of meeting your customer where they're at they're very aware of where the world is right now between trying to spend less time on their devices and obviously with the coronavirus. It shows how quickly you can make something cute for the watch, like a countdown timer while you're washing your hands, and how, you know, it is fun and interesting to make things in software that you can kind of release quickly and bring a little bit of joy to your customers. The wind down one was interesting because I think tech is starting to have more of a responsibility in the fact that as people, we use devices every single day, all day now. And research is coming out slowly but surely that, you know, it's not always that good for us. Our stress levels are high. We shouldn't be seeing so much blue light in the evenings and so on. So rather than kind of thinking, well, I guess I won't make phones anymore then. Um, not that Apple would do that. They start adopting their platforms to kind of go with your everyday life. So a feature they released was called Wind Down, where they start shutting off your notifications around your bedtime, they'll change the color of the screen, they'll dim everything, and they basically gently tell you to leave the phone alone and go to bed. I thought that was cute. And then the other thing that's that you can really see as a theme throughout the, the keynote was their new technology around language kind of anything from language detection that is written to how it's spoken to how it's translated. What started off as Siri <laughs> and some keyboard predictions, I think has grown into an extremely powerful language engine. I think we're only just starting to see what they're doing with it. Um, if you've noticed for the iPad OS, they've, they've announced Scribble. So Scribble means that you can use your pencil and you can write but now it knows exactly what you've written. It can change that into typed text if you wanted to literally scribble an email. <laughs> but also if you do keep it as, as written text in say your notes, you can select it, you can change it, you can move it. It's really, really interesting and powerful detection. So you can see that they are starting to leverage the, the machine learning capabilities of their new chips that are running on those handheld devices. And I think that's also a big factor in them moving that kind of technology over to the Mac. In conjunction with their privacy, um, one thing they stress is that a lot of these calculations happen on the phone. 
If you remember earlier this season, we talked about backend technologies and how often you, you know, you use the internet to basically ship off a command to a system somewhere on the web <laughs> that will calculate things and send the result back to you. That back and forth is, um, you know, allows people to intercept that. That is effectively the security risk. So when Apple talks about doing everything locally on device, it means they're not getting it on their servers. Everything is calculated and computed on the device, but that means it needs to be a powerful one. So interesting circling back to the chips that, you know, we'll be seeing a lot more of that, I think, also on the desktop. It's very cool. Now, if you heard about widgets, app clips, and so on, I will publish a bonus episode. Um, I didn't expect to go to part three, but here we are. Um, just about what those changes are, anything that you might want to implement in your app or any kind of feature that you're working on, and why that's really key to do so. It could put you in a real good position come September. For now, thank you for listening. I hope you had a great week. Um, I'm excited to watch a few more of the Apple sessions throughout. And yeah, any questions, any thoughts, email me at maxime at cutting through tech. Now I'll see you next week and have a good one. Bye.